We have so much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, through by, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, He swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. I would be served well by a word of prayer, and I suspect that would help all of us. Let me do that, and we'll get started. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the journey that we've been having through uh, the transcript of the Sermon to the Hebrews. We thank you, Lord, that in it we see that Jesus is greater than, 
And so in the midst of all kinds of things that might be on our mind, Father, we pray that Jesus, his majesty, his salvation, his grace, his lordship might loom large for us now. Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit you speak to us, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't remember what the content was. I don't remember what the occasion was. I don't remember who the author was, or nor the recipient. But I do remember as a kid the first time I heard of a thing called an open letter. I thought, man, that's a thing. Like someone writes a letter to somebody and lets everybody read it. And often it's a kind of intense letter. Uh, that, that, that's kind of intense. And one of the reasons why it's intense is because it's addressed to someone. It often mentions other people, but there's kind of a little something for everybody in it. Like, if I'm trying to, and this rarely happens, celebrate someone publicly, it's like, let's all celebrate this person publicly. Or if I'm trying to shame someone publicly, it's like, let's all shame them publicly. Now, that would never happen. You would never say, like tag an organization on Facebook or social media or something and say, so disappointed that they couldn't do this thing. Everybody hate them with me. That's the modern version of an open letter. Or sometimes it's kind of like a, you might commend the activity of someone in your open letter and everyone says, yeah, I should do that too. Or you warn them of their activity and everyone's meant to take warning as well. An open letter is addressed to someone Tends to mention others, but it's kind of, there's something there for everybody, for the whole family. That's what we're dealing with when we read something like Hebrews. It's pretty much what we're dealing with when we read any of the epistles, uh, that is the lessers in the Bible. It's addressed to someone, it mentions others, but there's something for all of us little smiley emojis to see. There's something for the whole people of God to take in, though we need to be careful to understand who's being addressed at each time. And so this morning, I want to show you so that we can understand this slightly controversial and often debated passage of Scripture, a little bit of who's who in Hebrews, so that we get it right. So the first question we've got to ask is, who's you? Have a look at this slide. Who's you? We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Now, with the wrong reading of you, I could be about to berate the congregation here at Fig Tree Anglican for not trying to understand. But it's important to understand what we're dealing with here is an exclusive you. This is not an inclusive you. This is a Hebrew you. So they're my little Jewish Hebrews. I was a little nervous about that. didn't know how that goes down. You know, I'm not the most PC of guys. <laughs> you get what you get. Uh, so to the you, this particular you, the addressee, the Hebrew original congregation, the preacher says, we have much to say about this. About what? When the previous part of Hebrews, he's been talking about the priesthood of Jesus. Broad brush strokes, he's been talking about how Jesus has made it to get full access to God. Hey, I want to talk to you more about the amazing access to God we have. I've already told you that we can boldly go before his throne and receive timely help. I'd love to tell you more about how we just walk straight into our Heavenly Father. But it's hard to make it clear to you because you trip up on so many things. You you don't try to understand. What he's saying to the original audience 
is you kind of misplace or you're in danger of misplacing your faith. You don't understand how freely we have access to God in Christ because you're wrestling with this issue of persecution we've been hearing about. And some of you are in danger of drifting from understanding that access to God comes through Christ alone. You're drifting back into coming under the law of Judaism. One, because that will hopefully keep you safe from Roman oppression. But you're starting to think, yeah, maybe the old ways are right. Maybe I should backslide into Judaism and have a bit of an each way bet. Bit of the Messiah, bit of the law, safe from the Romans. That's a good way to go forward. Well, no, it's not. It's hard to say more about free access to God when you're so distracted by the old ways and so distracted by the persecution ahead. It's difficult to show you an open door when you're looking at all the obstacles around. The writer goes on to say, you need milk. Sorry, you need solid food, but you're stuck on milk. Now, this has been an an, an interesting little bit. He says, you need to move away from the elementary teachings. These are some of the basic things that Jews would sometimes struggle with. One of the famous ones is things over the, the resurrection. So this is something that Pharisees and Sadducees, both Jewish, Jewish sects, used to debate about. Pharisees believed there's a resurrection. Sadducees didn't believe there's a resurrection. So they're sad, you see. I'm an Anglican minister as much as anybody else. Um, there's all these sorts of things that they need to move on from. This is what he's talking about when he speaks of milk. You need to move to the meat of the gospel. Now here's where this passage is sometimes, in my view, misunderstood by Christians today. You'll hear an enthusiastic, Bible-loving, theology-devoted Christian say, yeah, let's have some more meat. We should be talking about whether you're infralapsarian or supralapsarian or amaraldian. And all the theologues go, yeah! And how many points of Calvinism do you believe in after all? This is a misunderstanding. This isn't about getting to the hard stuff of the Bible. Milk is about moving away from all the things that distract. Milk is about saying, no, you don't need a ceremonial washing. No, we don't have to debate over that. Meat, what sustains, strengthens and makes whole the people of God is the gospel. That Jesus is risen. We have much more to say about this, that you have free access to God and all the benefits if you will just trust in Christ alone. You never graduate from the gospel. Do you know this is the song they sing in heaven? In heaven, they are still preaching the gospel. When you see the end time picture, everyone is around preaching and singing the gospel, celebrating the lamb. It's the gospel. This is the meat. And so he says, Oh, I wish you guys would understand. I wish we could stop debating the old stuff and putting away all these issues of Judaism. That's milk. I wish we could start to develop in meat where we understand the full access we have to God through Christ and Christ alone. So good news. In a fairly intense sermon, because this is probably an ancient sermon rather than a letter, I'm happy that I'm not going to get up this morning and say to Fig Tree, you need to understand better. 
But as I said, an open letter has an addressee and everyone gets to watch and everyone gets to learn. I think there are some things to learn. I think just as these guys were in danger of backsliding into a few things and finding their safety, finding their life purpose, direction and security, I, I, I think we might have some dangers too. I speculate, but as I thought about us, I thought, I wonder if our danger is the security and comfort of functionality. What do I mean by that? We just like it nice and smooth. Things calm and safe, which is not evil, right? Right? It's okay to like things nice and smooth, but that's not your security. It's that old thing of how, you know, a ship is safest in the harbour, but that's not what ships are built for. The Christians are safe with calm waters, but Christians are built for more than that. We, we sing it from time to time. You call me out to wilder waters. So uh, I wonder if sometimes in our, in our confusion, sometimes maybe we confuse Christian love for niceness, pleasantness but we have a messiah who said hey i came to bring a sword things will get wild sometimes we tend to we we have a danger of worshiping the niceness when if you think about christianity globally and christianity historically it's not always a movement of nice it's always a movement of love but sometimes it gets mighty bumpy as we contend for truth as sometimes yes as the gospel is preached you may well be offended. That's okay. You may well need to repent. Something may need to change. Sometimes we think, maybe it's about community. This huge word of community. If we all just come together, that's what Christianity looks like, right? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, just invite them to church. This is what I love about word one-to-one. Word one-to-one is not about inviting them to church. Word one-to-one is about inviting them to Jesus. And let Jesus build his church. It's been said by someone else, you can sit in a garage your whole life and not become a car. You can sit in a church your whole life and be part of the community and come to meet Jesus on the last day and have him say, sorry friend, I never knew you. We must ask ourselves questions of community. What is it that is actually in common? Because just being part of the crew and fitting in, that's not the gospel. That's not the meat that this passage is calling for. That is the danger that we might encounter. We love our safety. We love our familiarity. Let me stress, these are not bad things. But they're not ultimate things. We love it familiar. You know, the faces we know, the way we do it. But how would you feel, there's a few spare seats this morning, how would you feel if next week they're all filled, because someone heard there were new seats, but they're not filled with the people who have chosen to stay home today. They're filled with brand new people. Now, initially you say, yeah, that could be cool. What about they don't play by the rules? What about if we do communion or something and someone takes their bit and goes, oh, can I have some more? Can I get some Vegemite on my bread? You're like, oh, you can't do that. That's communion. I would say reach for the Vegemite just quietly. It won't ruin the communion. 
What if there were people who called out? <laughs> Thanks, Neil. That's exactly what I know. What if there were people who, from time, who, who, who came in, just learning the gospel, and I say, Jesus is the one and only God. How can you say that, Pastor? Would you, would you, would you cope? <laughs> Absolutely. What if there was all this calling out and strange behaviour because all these new people come in, they're not familiar and they don't get how we gel together? Would you be all right? The danger is when we like it secure and functional, nice, smooth community that doesn't identify its its centre, safety and familiarity. But here's what I want to say that this letter does for us that I think is really encouraging. I by no means want to get up and say, you don't try. I don't believe that for a minute. I couldn't possibly preach the same message as what was preached to the Hebrew. I believe you do try. As I look at Fig Tree Anglican, I see a Bible-believing community. I see people who treat each other graciously. Yes, we make mistakes. You need those because that's when grace really helps. I see people who treat each other graciously and make gracious responses because they've known the grace of God. I see people who do try. I see people who want to pray. I see people who have understood these things. And so we can explore how much more access there is to God because you are not like the original audience. You are a people who read the scriptures. In fact, I would contend that most of this room have a higher biblical knowledge and education than probably half of the world's pastors. That's not to put them down. That's to put you up. You stand in a wonderful legacy. You do try. Be encouraged. You're walking well. Let's keep walking. So that's the who's who, who's you. Now let's talk about those guys. Because there are some other guys that are mentioned. And the passage wants us to don't be those guys. Here they are. And this is where it gets tricky. It's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age to have, and have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. It's very definitive, isn't it? It's a significant one. It's worth us understanding. Let's start. Who are those guys? We don't know. The author doesn't name them, so far be it for you or me to name them. What do we know about those guys? They're not you. They're not the you of the original Hebrew audience because he's saying, I'm talking to you about those. They're not here. And in the same sense, I think we can say, I'm talking to you about those. They're not here. That's what we know. We know that they're not you. We know that they've made a comprehensive start in following Jesus. Look, they're enlightened. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They've shared the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the goodness of the world. Like all the signs of conversion. You think about some of those, those, those phrases and think about the book of Acts and how things unfold as people come to Christ. These are people who, it looks like they genuinely started. They have a comprehensive start but they also have a comprehensive non-finish. They have fallen away. Now, here's where we've got to be careful. Just because you haven't seen someone in church for the last 20 years does not mean they have definitively fallen away. This is huge language. 
And just as the author of Hebrews does not name names, far be it from me or for you to start naming names. This is a definitive, they are lost forever. And when we start calling out who those people are, I think we start to transgress Jesus' command for us not to be definitive judges. It's God who gets to say who has fallen away. You can say, I see they've drifted. You can say, I see they're backsliding. You should say to them, in love, I'm concerned with your walk. I think you're backsliding. I think you've drifted from the truth. But fallen away is a definitive term that means game over. And that's not for me to say. And that's not for you to say. What can be said, the author to the Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says there are people who fall away. This isn't a hypothetical. This is a real thing. There are some who have fallen away. Who are they? It's God's business. What should you do? Don't be them. The instruction here is, Try and name those who have fallen away. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It, it warns you of those who have fallen away. It warns you that their cause is lost. They have rejected Christ in such a definitive way that they cannot be restored. And the implication is don't end up like them. Keep going. We've talked about runners a bit lately, haven't we? Langdon showed us that great video a few weeks ago with the runner who slowed down and the other guy beats him on the line. As Hebrews progresses, chapter by chapter, the warnings tend to get sterner and more severe and the encouragements also intensify. So we've talked about running this race and, you know, don't slow down, run to the very end. When we're talking about falling away, perhaps we want to say something like, this is not just I slowed down. This is not just I took a wrong turn along the way. That's drifting. You can come back from that. That's all right. This is I stopped, took off my little number bib, tore it up, stamped on it, went home and drank a beer. You're no longer in the marathon. But actually, if we explore more of Hebrews, it's going to come to a part later on around chapter 11 and 12, where we talk about uh, the original Hebrews coming to the mountain of Sinai and Christians having been brought to the mountain of Zion. What does that even mean? Short summary. The author is trying to say, in Jesus, an amazing thing has happened. The start line for your race is guess where? It's actually the finish line. The race has been done and won. And so I was, I was scared to share this with you because I don't want us to get confused in the illustrations. But it sort of says, in Christ, rather than having this contingency of will I make it to the end or not, no, 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 Christ has run for you. The race is run. Where are you actually? You're post-finish line standing around waiting for the presentation. Race is won. You're there looking at your watch because they said, in 15 minutes we're going to present the medals. And you're up for gold because you're in Christ. Now, here's what falling away looks like. I don't want the medal. I don't care that the race is won. Tear off my bib and go home. We are not going to be able to assemble everybody again and say, hey, let's recount that race and show everything because we've got to give Borg his medal. That's just not happening. In the same way, it's impossible. But it's not for me to say and it's not for you to say who has come to that space. Just know that it can happen. Don't let it be you. Don't be those guys. Falling away is ultimate language. 
I love it when I speak to you and you tell me about beloved children who you raised in the faith and you say they're not walking with the Lord at the moment. That is good language. They've drifted. That is helpful language. They've fallen away. That's language beyond the realm of human lips, I would contend. That's language for God to announce. Your responsibility? Don't be them. Keep going. And you might be thinking, stop! Like you might be thinking, stop definitively. That's enough sermon. We've been here for a while. Or you might be thinking, stop, what about salvation? I thought you can't fall away and stuff like that. Stop, can I lose salvation? All right, let me add my name to the many list, the big list of people who have had a go at this and succeeded and failed. Who knows where I'll end up. Can I lose salvation? It is my contention that the scriptures say, no, you cannot lose salvation. You cannot lose salvation. But what the scriptures ask us to do is make sure you've got salvation. Make sure your calling is sure. Make sure you've received the salvation of God, for if you have received it, it cannot be lost, for it is his work. Make sure you've received it. It kind of works like this. Let's say I didn't know Greg, and I think, ooh, and Greg and I are like five, and I think, I want to start a relationship with this guy, and I've got a nice ball. And so, by my gracious heart, I throw Greg my ball. And look, instinctively, instinctively those in the front row would say, he cupped out his hands. Because when someone throws you a ball, if you're going to catch the ball, there are probably three... I'm, no, I'm not coordinated. There are three essential things I know. There's placements. So if I throw it kind of to Whitney, Greg's going to have to dive. He's got to place himself. There's timing. Don't you love it when, when your kid's are little and you throw them a ball that smacks them in the nose and they go like that? There's timing. And there's, you laughed because you've done it. And there's closure. Right space, right timing, and then capture. You need those elements. Now, once you've caught the ball, it's a catch, and it's a catch forever. So later on, you put the ball down. You still caught the ball. It can't ever go. That catch is listed forever. Now, Greg and I have this wonderful relationship of playing catch. Here's how it works with God. God says, I want a relationship with you. His throw is grace. We've done nothing to deserve God reaching out to us. By grace, he extends himself to us, seeking a relationship. This is what salvation is. We're saved from alienation, saved to a relationship. How do we receive God's grace? Our catch is called faith. When the Bible starts to challenge us on what genuine faith is, we tend to have tricky passages. Let's do this. Catching has position, timing, closure. Genuine faith has at least three elements as well. At least three. I would say the first one is placements. What is your faith in or who is your faith in? This was the first issue raised with the Hebrews. They're starting to trust themselves to a safe life and the Jewish law. And the author says, no, 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 you're misplacing your faith. You want access to God, Christ and Christ alone. The first step to genuine faith is that it is placed in the right one. And that is in Christ and Christ alone. That is the placement, like when I'm catching a ball. Then, if faith is genuine, it will bear fruit. So where do we trip over this in the New Testament? We read James 2. 
We read James 2 and we hear, faith without works is dead. Do you think he was saved by faith alone? And we go, oh, 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 I thought it was faith alone. Now you're talking about works and stuff like that. And a proper interpretation understands that we are saved through faith alone, but the faith that saves will never be alone. It's what we trust in. It's what we believe. It gives rise to behaviors. It gives rise to fruits. In this passage, we have an agricultural illustration with the rain coming on the land. And what does the land produce? So just like a catch requires placement and timing, genuine faith requires placements and timely fruits. But there's another element that challenges us probably even more. Just like a genuine catch that cannot be taken away requires closure, so does genuine faith. Genuine faith is placed in the right one. Genuine faith bears fruit and genuine faith finishes. It perseveres. And I know that's a challenge because all of us are like, but I want to know it's genuine today. We can do this the easy way or the hard way, I guess. I, I don't know which one is which. I could kill you. And then you finish in faith right now. Now, you might call that the easy way. I'm going to say that's the hard way. Or you can just keep going. We like to have all the answers today, don't we? That's why we're tempted to want to name those who have fallen away. You won't know. Get to heaven. Check the role when you get there. You're not going to know in this lifetime. That's them and God's business. Is my faith genuine? Is it in Christ? Good start. Is it bearing fruit? Fantastic. Keep going. Keep going till you're standing in front of Jesus. You'll be good. Salvation can't be lost. Make sure you have the genuine faith that catches it. It's a gift from God. Okay, so we've talked about who's you. We've talked about not being those guys. We've talked about not losing salvation and genuine faith. So let's talk about everyone. Because I think when you put a we and a you together in this passage, you get us all. In this open letter, there is an instruction that says in chapter 6, therefore, 6-1, therefore let us move beyond the elementary teachings. Let's get on with it. Let's live life in the gospel and access our wonderful God. And he goes on to say, we are convinced of better things for you. This is a huge encouragement. Now this, uh, we and you, I think is an all. This is where I think we can read holus bolus for everyone who calls upon the name of Christ. Just jump into this. We want to move to maturity. We want to bathe ourselves in the gospel of Jesus. And as we move to maturity, we want to be people of genuine and enduring faith in Christ alone. To do that, to move us on this journey of maturity in Christ, of persevering just as he has the whole way through the book, there is warning and encouragement. We have been warned by observation. Don't be those guys. There are some whose faith is found to be false. Those who have fallen, don't be them. Don't be them. Be the ones who bear fruit. Be the ones who love meats. Invested in the gospel. You don't need the other stuff. There is warning and there is encouragement. Hear this encouragement from verse 9. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. 
God sees you bearing fruit. He sees you running well. He won't forget. Keep running. Run with him. He'll keep leading. You keep following. We want each of you to follow this with the same diligence to the very end, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. This message idea of salvation is the call to be a disciple. A disciple is a faith walk. It's a journey where we keep following as the Lord leads, regardless of what he leads us through. Genuine faith trusts the Lord as leader. Genuine faith faith produces fruits. And genuine faith just keeps walking till the walk God has prescribed is done. Let me finish with verses 11 and 12 again. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Let me pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you indeed are gracious. That according to your love, you extended the offer of relationship to us, the offer of salvation. Father God, in what we have heard today in this message, we pray that we might be those people of genuine faith. Who don't misplace our faith, but keep it in Christ alone. Who bear the fruits of faith. And indeed, Lord, who follow. Father, we pray now for those who might have drifted. We might need to pray a prayer of repentance if we've said they've fallen away. Lord God, that's your business. We pray that you would bring them back into the race, back into the journey, back waiting for the prize. Lord God, we pray that you would strengthen us by your spirit. We don't want to be those guys who have fallen away. We want to be those guys who keep going. We want to be those ones of faith that perseveres. Father God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you by your Holy Spirit. We can be confident that you will indeed lead us home on this journey you've called us to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.